0: Alright, I get to share with you all this morning a story from Moravian history. Um, This is going to set up Pastor Oshita's sermon very nicely. So, all of you of course know about the Thirty Years' War from your history class, right? Everyone knows about the Thirty Years' War. Thankfully, you don't have to know about the Thirty Years' War. All you have to know is that during the Thirty Years' War, um, the Moravian church, the Unitas Fratrum, was illegal. was driven underground. And after that time, uh, many Moravians fled to uh, a a portion of um, Europe called Saxony, modern-day Germany. Refugees from the Thirty Years' War, from Moravia, Bohemia, and uh, Poland, fled to Saxony, to the estate of the rich young ruler who said yes. Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. I like to call him the rich young ruler who said yes. And at this time, um, there were a lot of different Christian groups who were flocking to this part of Saxony, the estate of Zinzendorf. So there were Lutherans, there were Reformed, there was even a a separatist group that I'm probably going to mispronounce their name, um, so I I won't even... I won't even attempt it, but a lot of different types of Christians were flocking to this. And that, believe it or not, created some tension. Christians, among among Christians, there was tension and division because of the different traditions. But Count Zinzendorf, uh, he had a heart for unity. He was ecumenical, and he loved seeing churches work together. So he brokered... A agreement among the different Christian groups that he called the Brotherly Agreement and this was in May of 1727. This united the different denominations in one accord and that summer there was a revival at the settlement that was built on his estate which was called Hernhut. Did I say that right? I was saying Hernhut for like months and then Betsy came and she was like it's Hernhut. <laughs> So at Harenhut, there was this revival. Then on August 13th, 1727, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I wish I, wish I had that slide from, um, from my class because I have a woodcut uh, picture of all the Moravians laying p- prostrate on the floor at this uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. August 13th, 1727, at a communion service. There was such a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit that historian Leslie Tarr says two facts arrived out of that meeting. Fact number one is that the Moravian community commenced round-the-clock prayer for 100 years. So he took turns praying at different hours of the day around the clock, and that lasted 100 years. The other fact that came out of that prayer meeting after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was that in, the, in the, the next 65 years after that, that small community sent over 300 missionaries around the world. Now, to put that in perspective, in the previous 200 years, they had sent, uh, Protestants had sent less than 100 missionaries around the world. So this, this small gathering of united Christians became a worldwide hub of missions. Jesus' prayer that his disciples would be one was witnessed and demonstrated in Heron in 1727.
1: So we are going to, as a part of our discernment process, this whole sermon series Pastor TC and I have designed to help you, help us as a community discern. We don't want our voices to be the only voices. That are saying or thinking or are speaking into this discernment process, um, we want to hear your voices. And particularly we want to give us space to read the ground of unity together. So if you are on, if you are at a table, we're going to look at every aspect, kind of each paragraph of the ground of unity. We're going to read it, and then I'm going to do a little bit of teaching about what that what that paragraph is asking us. <laughs> To co- commit to in being a unified community, um, and that's going to be our that's going to be our teaching time today. Is getting into that and really asking the Spirit what does it mean to be a unified community, um, particularly a, a Moravian unified community. Is that something we want to live into? So, table number one. Who has table number one? Okay, Pastor TC will hand you the mic.
0: We believe in and confess the unity of the church given in the one Lord Jesus Christ as God and Savior. He died that we might unite the scattered children of God. As the living Lord and shepherd, he is leading his flock toward such
1: unity. So this is inviting us to consider one idea. Will we be unified in our picture of God? And I'm sure that some of you might be like, oh, Sheila, you constantly talk about your picture of God. But that, I feel like, is foundational. If we don't have a picture of God that gives us, uh, that speaks life and wholeness and love into us, we cannot pass that to each other. We cannot pass off life and wholeness and love to each other. Um, because if our picture of God is one of like really severe and angry, we're going to constantly be feeling like, crap we're going to constantly be feeling like we're not enough we're going to constantly feel like we have to prove ourselves we're going to make room for judgment and bitterness and resentment but if we have a picture of a god who is as the unit the ground of unity says our living lord and shepherd and leading his flock towards his unity if we have a picture of god who is for us who is speaking that life and love and wholeness into us. We're going to embrace our faith from a more empathic, restful, hopeful space. And then we will live in faith communities with deep empathy and hope and trust for one another. I have a couple of uh, clips from movies that for me paint the two kind of big pictures of God. Uh, One big picture of God is that like judgmental, harmful um, picture that I want us to look at and then maybe a picture of God that um points to that kind of shepherd and loving. So Look up there. Pick it up at seventeen. Okay. So that is Terrence Fletcher from the movie Whiplash. Now, his whole job as a music teacher is to foster this love of music and creativity in this main character right here. The, his name's Neil, I think. Um, but he doesn't his whole thing is he's more committed to the way like the tempo and are you matching my tempo and if you're not i'm going to keep stopping you as you're trying to lean into the music and find your own groove and then i'm just at the very end just going to get so frustrated because you're not doing it right so many of us have a picture of god as like this as, as terrence fletcher like just not doing it right and i'm just not keeping up with you god and as this movie progresses, you begin to see that this kind of approach to helping Neil kind of find his music and find his way as a musician really causes a massive mental health crisis for him. Um, he, this, there's this one scene, my son loves this movie, Tyson loves this movie, or T- Terrence loves this movie, TJ. And he showed it to me and there's this one scene where the boy who was drumming was so committed to pleasing Terrence that he was running a little bit late, and so he had to run across town because he left his musician, he left his, his kit someplace, his drumstick someplace. He had to run across town, he jumped into a car, he rented a car real quick, and he was like speeding and got into a massive car accident. The car flipped over, he crawled out of the car, grabbed his sticks from the back seat, and, dr- and, and went to the performance and performed with broken legs and broken hand simply because he wanted to please Terrence Fletcher. That's no way to create music. That's no way to lean into, find joy and lean into the beauty of what it means to be a musician. And I think a lot of us have come from places where our spirituality was um, constantly felt like we were not up to God's tempo. That that was not the picture, or that was a picture of God that we had. So I want to show another picture. One of a kind, good shepherd. This is Glenn Holland from Mr. Holland's Opus.
0: Mr. You're
1: Late. you left your clarinet here the other day.
0: Yeah, um, if you know anyone who wants it, I- I'm giving up the clarinet. I'm just, I'm just goofing everybody else up anyway. So, um, I just wanted to say thanks. Thanks for playing. Is it any fun? We've been playing the notes on the page. Well, what else is there to play? What? Well, a lot more to music than notes on the page. These guys, for example. Now, they can't sing, and they have absolutely no harmonics. So they're they're playing the the same three chords over and over. I love it. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Yeah, you do. Because it's fun? That's right. Because playing music is supposed to be fun. It's about heart. It's about feelings and moving people and something beautiful and being alive, and it's not about notes on page. I can teach you notes on page. I can't teach you that other stuff. Do me a favor. Pick up your clarinet and
1: play with it. This time, no
0: music
1: because you already know it. It's already in your head
0: and your fingers and your heart. You just don't trust yourself to know that. Okay. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three, four. Why? Oh, my father always says that it reminds him of sunset. Play the
1: sunset. So <clears throat> I'm going to spend, this is the one I'm going to spend the most amount of time with, because to the degree um, that we have a picture of God as a good and loving shepherd, can we become a community, that a flock that is for each other? Because we have been tended to really well, and so we want to tend to each other really well. You see, Jesus' ministry was predicated on the disciples bringing their varied perspectives and social locations into meaningful relationship with each other, to play in harmony with each other, to play the sunset together. That's what happened on August 13th. The early Moravian church learned how to play the sunset together because they believed that Jesus was a good shepherd and they, that playing the sunset was they were bringing the things that they loved about themselves into community, their gifts, their strengths, their everything. So when Jesus prays, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought into complete unity then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What he is doing is he's saying, my whole ministry, I have been referring to you, God, as father. And I have modeled my life of faith as one who trusts in you as a good father. Because I know to the degree that they have a picture of you as good, as loving, and as interested in caring for them, they will be able to be good and loving and interested in caring for others. So the very first thing that we are agreeing to when we, when we want to live in unity, when we look at the ground of unity and say, yeah, we as a community want to agree with this, is that we are going to have a good, loving picture of God because perfect love casts out all of those fears that come up with not being enough, of, try, of having to try so hard, of not being fully loved and tended to. All right, the next one, table two. That's table two.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Unitas Fratin espoused such unity by its the name, of the old Ravinean Brotherhood's Church, Unitas Fratin, United Brethren. Nor can we ever forget the powerful unifying experience granted by the crucified and risen Lord to our forebears in the on the occasion of the Holy Union of 13th August 1727 in the birth of the Lord.
1: So this is our commitment, if we agree to this, is that we are going to remember together. So we are going to make gathering with each other a priority. So what is church for? Why do we come together on Sundays? It's not for a spiritual pat pat on the back. It's not so that we can somehow assuage our own guilt. We come together to remember. We come together to remember to breathe. We come together to remember that Jesus was with us and is with us and will go with us. We come to remember the ways that God has showed up in our community and we come to allow other people to say, This is how God showed up for me. Because that in, in, in doing that, they're remembering. They have worked into the ground of unity, this importance of communal remembering. That's why we take the, the, the uh, Eucharist every week, because it's our practice of remembering together, because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to lean into our own egos and desires and wants and forget that we're part of a collective. Forget that we are connected to a long history and lineage of people who have sought Jesus. So this is our invitation to commit that we will remember together, to gather together, and to tell the stories of how God has been a good um, shepherd to us. Table three.
0: It is the Lord's will that Christendom should give evidence of and seek unity in him with zeal and love. In our own midst, we see how such unity has been promised us and laid upon us as a charge. We recognize that through the grace of Christ, the different churches have received many gifts. It is our desire that we may learn from each other and rejoice together in the riches of the love of Christ and the manifold wisdom of God.
1: So this is uh, our commitment to be unified in the pursuit of curiosity of the other. So during our Q&R time, thank you, during our Q&R time, Renee asked the question about diversity within the covenant or within the Moravian church, like what's up with that and how, how, do, how are they doing that? And what I perceived was kind of the heart behind that question was, is there a curiosity for the other? Are they making space to learn the stories and to tend to the lived experience of the other? And this right here says, yeah, we do, we will. And when we say yes and amen to this, to this ground of unity, this this part of the ground of unity, when we say yes and amen to this, we're saying yes and amen to living in pursuit of curiosity of the other curiosity doesn't mean full agreement curiosity doesn't mean tolerate tolerance of the other curiosity means to be fully interested to honor the lived experience and the story of somebody who has who has a life that's different than ours to recognize that god made that person and god has been with that person in that story and so it is my job to look for, the, look for the ways that God as a good shepherd is showing up in that person's story, even if they hold a different theological perspective than me. Even if their lived experience is something that I haven't experienced. We, part of our commitment to unity is to constantly be in pursuit of the curiosity of the other. Next table. <laughs>
0: Minimize the AV uh, problems. <laughs> we confess our share in the guilt, which is manifest in the severed and divided state of the world. By means of such divisions, we ourselves the message and power of the gospel. We recognize the danger of self righteousness and judging others without love.
1: So this is our commitment to humility and forgiveness because even though we have the best of intentions to love each other as we have experienced God loving us, so even though God has offered lavish grace upon us, sometimes we forget that, and sometimes we're not gracious to each other. And so we promise to live in community with each other when we don't offer that grace or care to one another. We commit to living in community with each other with the baseline belief that we don't have it all figured out. We may have done a lot of study, we have maybe had really powerful experiences, but that, does, that experience and that study uh, is not the end all and be all of knowledge. We are all in, in this journey together. And so we make room to uh, be humble and say, I, I only know what I know, but I, I know that there are things that I don't know. And quite possibly, you might have the answer to some of the things that I don't know. So if you say something that I don't agree with, then I will do the work of being self-aware and saying, why does that trigger me that way? Why do I feel, where does that feeling in my gut come from? What past trauma is that activating? And we'll do our best to kind of deal with that within ourselves, with our God, with our leadership, and not direct any of that trauma towards another person as we go on this journey to each other. And that requires a ton of humility. So when we say yes to this, we're saying yes to cultivating that humility. Next table. All right, next, yeah. Final table. (laughs) Do you want my mic? Is it easier for me to come to you? Scott? Since we, together with all Christendom, are
0: pilgrims on the way to meet our coming Lord, we welcome every step that brings us near to the goal of unity in him. He himself, invites us to the communion in his supper. Through it, he leads the church towards that union which he has promised. By means of his presence in the Holy Communion, he makes our unity in him evident and certain even today. And
1: this is our commitment to being unified and our promise to come to the table together. Metaphorically, the table uh, and physically the table willing to come together to be nourished by each other and to take communion with each other as well. Um, a book that I read that I really love um, that, I would, that I would encourage you to read um, is by Sarah Miles. It's called Take This Bread, A Radical Conversion. And Sarah Miles was, uh, had a really complicated history with her faith and Jesus and she walked into a church um, and she took communion. She, she was given communion even though she was very upfront about her complicated experience with her faith. She was still welcomed to the table and she received communion and, she, and that transformed so much. That inclusion, that radical hospitality transformed so much in her thinking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus that she started partnering with this church and working at this church and she became a leader in this church. Um, so much so that she was one day offering communion and she said this, She got up in front of the congregation and she said, Jesus welcomes everyone to his table. in the same way that she had been welcomed and she was committed to coming to the table, she says, Jesus welcomes all of us. You're welcome. Come to this table. And so we offer communion to everyone and everyone by name. And then she said, I broke the bread, big chunks of Tom's round white loaf, and put a piece in the hand of every person standing in front of me and looked at her. Something happened again. She, had an, she remembered that initial experience at the table. And she said, what happened once I started distributing communion was truly disturbing, a dreadful realization about Christianity. You can't be a Christian by yourself. So this, this part of the ground of unity is saying, we can't do this on our own. We are going to come to the table as a community, and we're going to remember Jesus as our good shepherd and we're going to break the bread and we're going to, well, pass out the grapes. And we are going to be, we're going to be nourished together as a community. I'm gonna close with this story and then invite Pastor T.C. up to come serve communion with me and somebody go grab our littles. When we lived in Boston, we had a, um, it was our first, for me, it was my first experience with um, interacting with with queer families, so Tyson was three when we moved to Boston, and we started uh, we sent him to this very progressive school right down the street from us. And I started interacting with with gay and lesbian families, and it was the first time that I actually had, I could I had to do that because I spent most of my life in the south. I was really ner- like cultivated in an evangelical background that was very clear on our stance on human sexuality. So I, but it wasn't that I was like, I was like your, your typical, like I don't have anything against them, I just don't like, it's a sin. So like, I mean, I love them, but I hate the sin. Like, that's really where I sat. But then Tyson started making friends with these kids from these families, and I started to see so much of the rhythms of life and family care in their home were similar to the rhythms and life of family care in my home. And I thought, wait, how do these people who are like sinners like feed their kid organic food because it's like the right thing for them? Like, why is that like about like, and I do that too. What is that? Like we share this similar deep commitment to our families. Things completely changed for me and my perspective um, and my invitation to the spirit to challenge me, to cause me to access some humility around um, full inclusion of our gay and lesbian siblings was when I met uh, Lisa and her partner, Mary. Lisa and her partner, Mary, had a son um, named Ian and Ian and Tyson became really, or Aiden, Aiden and Tyson became really, really good friends. Like super close, really fast. And Lisa would like come to me after school where the kids would play on the playground, would come to me and like just start making small talk with me and like, say, yeah, organic chickens on salad, Whole Foods. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like you know my love language. And like, oh, by the way, like we can take Tyson to go rock climbing. And just, she was like so, she was so invested in, in being curious and caring for Tyson in a way that, that was so moving to me. She wanted to maternally care for Tyson um, in the same way that she would maternally care for Aiden. So then one day we're, we're outside playing and I kind of knew a little bit that she was in seminary because she had said something about like Old Testament. And I was like, wait, my husband's in the Old Testament. And I was like, how does that work, God? Like, how is she like reading Old Testament as a gay woman? Like, I don't get it. And so we're talking and I was like, hey, are you like in seminary? And she goes, yeah, I go to the Episcopal Seminary. And I was like, oh, and she was like, when I was a little kid, I used to line up my stuffed animals and preach to them. And I was like, you're kidding me. Because when I was a little kid, I used to line up my Cabbage Patch dolls and preach to them. And she was like, were all of them named girls? I was like, yeah, all of them are girls because like women preachers. And she's like, yes, like girls can preach. And I was like, what is this? And then she was like, hey, you know, I know that you and your husband are, your husband's in seminary. And like Mary, having me in seminary is really hard for her. Like there's, she, she misses me a lot because I'm so busy. And I'm just like wondering like, can you pray for Mary and I'll pray for you? And I was like, how are you? Like, like a woman who for so much of her life had been told you can't love God fully and you can't be an active part of the life of the church coming and ministering to me in the love of Christ. And so in that moment, I was like, you could totally pray for me. And there was a unity that happened there that I never experienced, that I hadn't experienced in a long time in other, religious spaces. So this is the kind of making room in space that the unitus fratrum is inviting us into. But the ground of our unity says that we have a good picture of God, says that we, um, we will be committed to remembering with each other, that we will be curious about each other, that we will be humble and offer forgiveness. I literally remember having to tell her, I've struggled telling Lisa, I struggled with, with uh, inclusion of, of gay and lesbians into the church. Like I struggled, but I see you and you're such an amazing Christian and you're going to be such an amazing pastor. Like I'm jealous of the people who are going to be pastored by you and I'm sorry for holding that
0: mm-hmm.
1: and coming together to the table. So we're going we're gonna to continue in that spirit of taking communion together.